Good afternoon again. Good evening again. I feel like I want to say Merry Christmas again. <laughs> the trees up. <sighs> Our trees aren't up yet. I'm feeling the the need for festive decorations in the house. Well, uh, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Perhaps it's something that you're just hoping for this time of year, or perhaps it's something that you're hoping for the for the year ahead. Uh, here's a sample of things that some people said recently when they were asked for what they were they were wishing for for well 2020 now isn't it for, for the year ahead uh, peace justice and freedom good uh, or how about this one getting more sleep going to the gym more than once a year petting more dogs and actually using the diary that I bought that's why that's quite a good one uh, peace in Palestine good thing to hope for uh, I need less drama and more fun there's another one, that's good uh, one I can personally relate to I hope to lose my dad bod uh, one you may relate to I hope to go on vacation for a week without my kids or one that many people were hoping for this I love the way they express this this will be my year I will win the lottery <laughs> now I'm not sure how many of those were the, the kind of the hopes and fears of all the years that the, the hymn writer was writing about when they when they write a little town of Bethlehem uh, for some of us uh, this season we feel the opposite in actual fact for some of us over Christmas and over New Year particularly sometimes we can feel a great sense of of hopelessness uh, even depression we do not feel we have hope in anything life seems too hard or just too pointless we feel dispirited like we are perhaps just going through the motions Perhaps we feel it more. We might feel that in different times of the year, but often people will feel that more at this time of year. And we know it's supposed to feel different, and we're fed up that it doesn't. So today we're going to spend some time thinking about what hope is and what Christians celebrate at Christmas. Is what we celebrate at Christmas a hope that we can truly embrace are the hopes and fears of all the years met in Jesus tonight like the hymn singer sang so we're going to look at three uh, three points and Andrew if you can just move that on for us looks like the pointer isn't working there um, and they're on the back of your booklet there if you're taking notes uh, we're going to think about uh, how hopelessness feels wrong how most things that we put our hope in let us down. And finally, a hope that does not disappoint. How hopelessness feels wrong. How most things that we put our hope in let us down. And finally, a hope that does not disappoint. And hopefully we will get a sense of what the hope that we think about at Christmas is actually all about and how it can be real for us so first of all why hopelessness feels wrong 
Uh, one definition of hope that I found that I thought was quite interesting and quite helpful was, was that hope is, is the desire for something combined with an anticipation of it happening. So a desire for something combined with an anticipation of it happening. So when you take those two sections, those two possibilities, we can see where hopelessness might come from. Uh, on one side of it, we might feel hopeless. We might feel hopeless when we have no desire for something in particular. Our joy in life is is low. We might feel there's no real goals. There's perhaps some. Our life might feel purposeless. Uh, maybe we've not just been encouraged to think about different possibilities in our lives, and perhaps expectations in our life are are quite low. Maybe we've grown up in that kind of environment where, where the norms in our society or in our family or in our group of friends are, are low. Uh, maybe the media is telling us that things don't really have a lot of value or, or even what we quite have hope in doesn't matter. Maybe a, a message that comes to us. Or, or maybe we're fighting depression. We might be fighting depression just for a short period of time. We might have been fighting depression for years. The next task that we have to do may seem impossible. Even though we've done it a thousand times before. Even though it is totally routine. Because of our depression, it may feel like just that next thing is beyond our ability to do it. And, And we are increasingly fortunate that there is great advice out there for things like depression. If you are fighting depression, just as a side, let me say this, go and find that advice. Come and talk to one of us. Uh, Talk to a family member. Talk to somebody. Do not go through this on your own. Do not face that fight on your own. Our mental health is super important. Do not leave it. Whether it's a recent programme like something called, uh, you might have heard of Heads Together, uh, a football-based sort of mental health program, or, or contacting the Samaritans. We're talking about the Samaritan lady, different group of people, but the Samaritans are a great place to contact. But from the the other part of our definition, it, it may also be we may also get hopelessness because we we may no longer anticipate that our goals will happen. So the goal might be a good one. The goal might be one that our society validates, and yet we think it may no longer happen. Perhaps, uh, perhaps as we have grown and grown older, other people have let us down. We have let ourselves down, perhaps. And so we feel that that goal we've put before us is no longer something we can attain. Um, we may feel it is our own uh, capabilities that are going to stop us from, from getting there. There are a number of different ways in which we feel that that goal that we have may no longer be achievable. And so we lose hope in it. Perhaps we lose hope altogether. And we know that feels wrong, don't we? We, we recognise the need for good mental health. I think we recognise that uh, hope has a quality in our life. Every doctor, every psychiatrist, every TV guru... Uh, Oprah, whoever you're watching, will will tell us that that we need hope. And we can tell we were designed to have hope. 
And when we are down, it is hope that will pick us up again, that will move us on. And that is true. That is true. When humans were first created, there was no doubt in life. There was no need for hope because everything was certain. Human race's knowledge of God and his good creation was perfect. However, along comes the devil. And what's the first thing he says? Did God really say this? First thing he says is about doubt and uncertainty. Did God really see humans not eat from any tree in the garden? The craftiest of our enemies introduces doubt. He entices our ancestors into sin and as a result we fall and we are now assaulted by anxieties, doubts, fears. We are no longer confident. We are no longer assured as we have been and too often we experience hopelessness. Adam and Eve replace that confidence in God that they had with their own understanding of the world and it took them exactly zero minutes to realize that that was wrong and that they were then in the wrong place and how flawed it was and since that day we have been struggling to put our hope in all kinds of things other than God. When the human race was created, humans had confidence in God. And we now place our hope in lots of other things, often. What we should be doing is we should be placing our confidence not in our own self, but where it belongs. Our hope needs to be in God. Do I do that? No. Because of temptation and sin in my life, I put my hope in all kinds of things. Whether it's money, career, family, my own wisdom and abilities, etc., etc. I put my hope in all kinds of places rather than in God. And that is a problem. Why is it a problem? Our second point here. It'll come up on the screen in a moment is that most things that we put our hope in, most things I put my hope in, will let me down, will let us down. And these things I talked about, uh, uh, family, career, money, my, uh, wisdom and abilities, our own wisdom and abilities, our friends, I mean, these are all good things, right? I'm not saying these things are evil in no way. To be clear, I'm not knocking them. They've been given to us as good gifts from God. And, and, you know, I, I, like most of us, I think I'll have goals in those areas, things I'd, I'd like to achieve, things that I, I want to, to do, right? You know, we will have a plan. In my case, I have a spreadsheet because I'm an accountant, you know, so I don't do plans, I do spreadsheets. They're nice. Um, and because, right, because uh, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. You heard that one before? Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, if you need any spreadsheet guidance... Come talk to me. You know, I love talking about spreadsheets. Um, but these things are not, they're not meant for me to put my hope in them. They've been provided by God, but they are subject to God. 
They are good gifts, but they're not meant to replace God. They're there to, to provide things, to sustain, to encourage, to bless, to entertain. But they're there. But as part of all those things, they point us towards God. Our gracious king, they themselves are not gods. Our hope does not belong in them. But we're tempted to do that. We're tempted to make them that. And and, uh, that really pleases the devil. He loves it when we put our hope in something else and not in God. Because he knows. He knows that he can then use that to generate hopelessness. When they fail to deliver, as sooner or later they all will, he knows he can generate hopelessness and despair and depression. If he can elevate them to the level of God in our lives, and he thinks, great, I've turned another one away. And have you noticed those things that are there for our good slowly and and they're supposed to be providing something for us slowly we have to provide things for them they're there to serve us and yet we're slowly but surely finding ourselves serving them investing our emotional energy our physical energy our our time our, our money into whatever it is that we've suddenly started worshipping like a god. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. All those other things other than God can be taken away from us. All of them. Financial crises can mean we lose money. Death can mean we lose family members. We can lose our job in a moment... Uh, Benefit changes can take away our income. Age, accident and disability can take away our competence and abilities. Sooner or later, all these things let us down. They will fail to meet our needs and or we will lose them. Because we've tried to put them into that hole in our heart that is God-shaped. Like trying, you ever seen kids trying to ram in like a, you know, the expression of a square pegging a round hole? You know those little games kids have where they've got a round shape and a round hole and they've got to put the round shape in the round hole and they get a square and they're like, mm. Mm. and it, it doesn't go in. It's not meant to go in that shape. It just doesn't go. And so, so we put our hope in ourselves that we're going to be capable of meeting the challenges of life. Uh, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my own destiny. Perhaps we're going to put our trust in our families that our, our kids will provide for us when we get older or, or that uh, our parents will be able to provide the wisdom and direction for us. Uh, the world, uh, particularly this time of year when we're advertising seems wall to wall on the on the tv the world wants us to uh, invest in things to buy things that'll that'll make us feel good Uh, film companies online streaming services video games want to entertain us to death with with promising a, a real diet of distraction 
from the real world. Self-help books and empowerment seminars. Science and the, the view that the science will provide every answer uh, perfectly sooner or later for the whole human race. Yeah, like Ben was saying, politicians on Thursday ask us to place their, our hope in them. Let me repeat, these are good things that, that God has given to us, gifts from a gracious saviour, but they were never supposed to be the place where we put the hope of our lives because they cannot bear the weight of that hope. And so they let us down and then we'll search for the next thing. And that will let us down and the next thing and then that will let us down and we go around this cycle of looking in things. That was what we were looking at in Ecclesiastes, in the book of Ecclesiastes, where the guy who's described there as the teacher says that in a world without God, all is meaningless. Unless we keep going, to keep going around that cycle, then we need to find something to hope in that will not let us down. That can be the right vessel for our hope. Or perhaps not something, perhaps someone, would be a better description. And so that's our third point. A hope that does not disappoint. Let's look back in that passage that uh, Ewan read for us. Uh, in the, the Gospel of John, this biography of Jesus written by John. And uh, you can see there in that first section, uh, from verse sort of uh, 7 down, we can see that Jesus is in, a, in an area where, a geographic area where he's not really done a lot of his ministry uh, before. He's in a part of Palestine called Samaria. That's where the Samaritans lived. And uh, you may remember one of Jesus' parables, the, the Good Samaritan. This is where he came from. As I say, this has got nothing to do with the organisation called the Samaritans. They, well, they borrowed the name from the parable. But that isn't where they all came from, all the people who work there. Um, anyway, G Jesus starts this conversation and it, it looks a, a little strange. But, but what he's talking about is the difference between the world and following himself. Uh, he starts the conversation. He's uh, perhaps provoking the lady a little bit to go the way he wants to go. He says, can I have a drink? And again, to this backwards and forwardness about getting the water out of the well. well his point is that the, the water will satisfy you for an hour or two. And then you're going to have to drink again. And then you're going to have to drink again. It It never satisfies permanently it'll satisfy for a short period of time but then we have to go back again but jesus describes himself up against that and it's a picture he's painting but he describes himself up against that as living water a person not a thing who can permanently satisfy he says who will satisfy for all eternity someone where you could place your hope for satisfaction and it's a bold claim that is a bold claim this is, this is a stranger who's just walked up to the lady at the well and so she might be thinking oh wow okay who are you uh, but Jesus backs it up so you can see there how he backs it up 
uh, we're down in uh, verses 19 to, to 26 when he talks about how, how he knows the woman. He knows her situation. He says, yeah, you've had five previous husbands. I know that. I know the situation with the current guy who you're, you're living with. And so she's, she's well, okay. Yeah, okay, this, is, this, is, this guy knows something. So he says, you're a prophet. You, you know, uh, you're a prophet of God. But he actually announces to her even more than that. He starts talking about worship and where uh, her people will worship. And, and, he points, and he makes the, and he says, no, you're actually face to face with the Messiah. The son of God. That living water equals the Messiah, equals the Son of God. This is who you are talking to. And she is galvanised. She, as you would be, she is galvanised. She drops the water and, uh, and she, she's going. She has, she has a purpose. She straight away, she goes back to the town and she runs into town and tells everyone. And what does she say to them? Come and see. What are the people in a town being invited to come and see? They're being invited to come and see the Messiah. This man who claims to be living water. This man who claims to be able to uh, eternally meet the needs of his people. As, as an aside, as we said last week, notice she doesn't say go and see. She doesn't say go over there and see that person. She says come come with me let's go let's go and talk to this guy jesus and there's a lot more in this passage but but uh, it's probably about three sermons in here but let, let's cut let's cut down to verse 39 what happens many samaritans believed they believed because of what she said but that but then look down to verse 41 and because of his words many more believed so there's two sets of folks here who believe. First of all, some of them believe because of what she says, but then many more believe. And what do they say to this, to this, to this Samaritan woman? Verse 42. They said, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So she told them about it, but when they actually had that encounter themselves, that they knew that Jesus was the saviour of the world. As Christians, our, our hope is in Jesus is not some vague thing that, ooh, life will be a bit better and pleasant, or ooh, I'll get that TV set that I wanted, or suddenly we'll all be nice to each other. Those things are nice. That is not what we mean when we talk about the hope in Jesus. The hope that we have in Jesus as Christians is that his will will be done. Our hope in Jesus is that he will be glorified. He will be lifted up and glorified in all ways. More personally, our hope in Jesus is that we, we are adopted as his children. Our hope is for our resurrection. 
Our hope is for an eternal life spent with God. This is a better hope than a hope for a TV set. This is a better hope than a hope for a quiet Christmas. And like the Samaritans, we we believe in this because of what we have learned about God, because of what we've learned about Jesus. We have learned that on our own, we have no hope. That all the world sooner or later will let us down, that we will let ourselves down. That we're going to do bad things, we're not going to do good things. Even our own character is incapable of satisfying God's anger because we are a sinful people we have no hope on our own however we have learnt other things we have learnt that Jesus the source of living water has given us hope by dealing with that sin in our lives he dealt with it through his death on the cross what seemed the most hopeless event in history the death of this guy who promised so much (coughs) is actually the way where we were able to regain that hope that we were always supposed to have. When we come and see this man who died to give us living water, who died so we might have a real hope, a hope that does not let us down, a hope that is eternal, that cannot be taken away. When we have that encounter like the Samaritans, we will say we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. That assurance that we have comes from the fact that after that horrible death, Jesus rose from the dead three days later. So when Christians talk about hope, they're not talking about hope in the sense of hope I will win the lottery. There is, there is certainty in this hope. One of, one of Jesus' followers, Peter, wrote this. This is in, uh, in the Bible, in the, in the book of First Peter chapter 1. Let me read it for you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope for what? And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade where is it this inheritance is kept in heaven for you how do we access it who through faith are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time our greatest hope our eternally satisfying trustworthy hope is in our inheritance that we have in jesus That's the hope Christians have. A couple of quick applications for us then. If you've never put your hope in Jesus, then I would urge you and encourage you to do so today. I have never met anyone who did, who became less hopeful through that. Quite the opposite, in fact. Accept the idea of living water accept the idea of somebody who adores you deeply who has given his life for you and only has your best interests at heart and wants you to come to him 
also remember about how our hope grows. Our hope grows and matures as we suffer. As we live through the hard pieces of our life, our hope gets deeper. Paul was an earlier follower of Jesus and he suffered great physical and mental hardships in order to help tell people about Jesus. And this is what he wrote about it. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That line, and hope This hope in God does not put us to shame. Some translations say, our hope does not disappoint. When you hear that, do you get the sense? Do you get get the... Can you hear what he's saying there? The the truth in that sentence, that that hope in Christ is hope that does not disappoint. Unlike all the other places. More application. Thirdly, then, if, if you are a Christian, then we have to preach to ourselves. We have to remind us of this, uh, remind ourselves of this hope. We have to remind ourselves of the gospel, remind ourselves of whom living water is, of the eternal life that is waiting for us. Uh, in Psalm 42, the writer there said this uh, First of all, thinking about his situation, uh, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? But then the writer starts to preach to himself. He starts to answer himself. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's my saviour and my God when we think about the when we think about the Christmas story on the face of it if you you were to just tell that story to someone else there's not a whole lot of hope in that story when you think about it Uh, Jesus is sent to earth not with the, the legions of angels that he was entitled to he was not born into a, a wealthy family who could use their, their wealth to help him to, to spread his message. Uh, they, they weren't a privileged group of people who, who, you know, he wasn't being, his father wasn't the duke of something or the chairman of something else or whatever. They couldn't use their connections to help them out. He was born in a cattle shed. Born in a cattle shed to a, a teenage mother and a poor carpenter. He probably grew up working with his hands in a, in a backwater town that was a, that was a bit of a dump. People didn't really think much of it. He was given a task that was impossible for anybody but himself to do. And he entered it knowing that it would lead to betrayal and ridicule, abandonment and ultimately torture and death. It's hard to imagine a more hopeless story. 
a situation with less going for it. And knowing all that in advance, Jesus steps down into the world he's created. He lays aside his authority to tackle that task, to live a perfect life and pay the price for our sin. He uses his power and authority to die. He uses his kingship to become a servant. He wins by dying. And then three days later, in the ultimate act of validation and approval, he rises from the dead. A number of people have died for good causes. And often for a very admirable person. They're very admirable reasons but I don't particularly want to follow them Uh, I'm not sure that we could have hope in a saviour who only died but I know that I can have hope in a saviour who rose from the dead and that's a living hope because he's alive Someone says hope springs eternal from the human breast. Hope does not spring eternal from the human breast. Hope springs eternal from the empty grave of Jesus. Hope comes from being united with our Saviour Jesus. Hope in Jesus is well placed. It will not disappoint. Come and encounter this man who brings living water. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a time of year when all kinds of emotions go through us. They've got nothing to do with the the season quite often, but but sometimes the the time of year will uh, increase the emotions we're going through. That might be excitement, that might be joy. For many people, uh, it's other more negative emotions. We talked last week about loneliness. This week, just thinking about hopelessness, some of us will be facing this very much right now. For many of us in the days and weeks and months and years ahead, we will be tempted to put our hope in other places, to put our hope in things that hold out great promise but cannot take your place. Heavenly Father, help us to put our hope where it belongs. Help us to put it in your Son, Jesus Christ. This living water. This man who died for us. This man who rose from the dead for us. This man who now stands at your right hand interceding for us. This man who will come back again. As we enter eternal life. Help us to put our hope in the fact that we have been adopted as his children. Help us to put our hope in the fact that he has died for us. Our faith is in him. And we want to do our best, as as best we can, to follow him. Our living hope. Christ in us. Thank you, Father. Amen.